Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin, our numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Welcome back. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to thank you for being here as well. Oh man, I don't think three hours is going to be enough, so stick with us as long as you can. The American media on full display, and predictably so. Our media is so thoroughly corrupt. So thoroughly corrupt. Deface the Nation, as I call it, is a Sunday show. I believe it's the lowest rated of the network Sunday shows. And a guy by the name of, uh, I believe it's John Dickerson, um, was the substitute host. He's a radical leftist. Very nasty dude, anti-Trump. And he wears his opinions on his sleeves. Therefore, he can be a journalist today. The entire so-called profession of journalism is a joke, a disgusting joke, because we need a free press and we don't have one. But I watched this, and I couldn't believe just how blatant this was, because I never watched John Dickerson, let alone deface the nation. And um, he has as a guest... Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Any of you watch this? Probably not. Who wants to watch this stuff? But I did. And I've seen a lot of really outrageous pseudo-journalism, as you have over the years, but this really took the cake. So I asked Mr. Producer to put together a montage just of the questions. Not of the answers, just of the questions. And here's the montage of just the questions that he's asking the Prime Minister of Israel. Listen to this. Cut one, go. 
I want to start with, uh, the, yesterday was the worst clash in this seven-day conflict. The last one of a similar sort in 2014 lasted six weeks. How much longer are these hostilities going to continue? 2,900 rockets uh, fired on Hamas, according to one rep- fired from Hamas, according to one report. But there's also a report that Egypt offered a truce. Hamas said yes. You said no. Why? The precision of that targeting has uh, been up for question. There's been a lot of focus on the bombing on Saturday in Gaza of a building that housed the Associated Press and Al Jazeera. The Committee to Protect Journalists demanded detailed and documented justification. This morning, there's a Jerusalem Post story that says the Americans were shown a smoking gun, uh, that proof that Hamas was in that building. What is that proof? Um, and did you show it to the Americans? Mr. Prime Minister, the arguments about how careful Israel have been are familiar ones to your critics. And in this case, with 181 Palestinians dead, 52 of them children, there's significant criticism. Amnesty International has asked the criminal, International Criminal Court to look into a refugee camp attack. The UN is meeting today. Foreign ministers of the EU are meeting. And, and the, the response has been like this one from the foreign minister of Ireland. Israel has international legal obligation to protect children in conflict and are not doing so. The question, Mr. Prime Minister, is uh, U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken said that Israel has an extra burden, that Israel, because of its strength and power and dominance, has an extra burden on these question of cap- casualties. The question is whether Israel is meeting its extra burden uh, in, in responding to these rocket attacks from Hamas. Let me ask you a broader question that was articulated by Senator Bernie Sanders, which is distinct from the clashes over the last week. His argument is that the treatment of the Palestinians is, is so rough that they are marginalized, demonized in such a fashion that there can never be peace, never be a two-state solution, and that, uh, that your treatment of the Palestinians outside of this week uh, is, creates conditions that are always going to lead to this kind of unrest, not just the missile attacks, but the riots you see in cities. What's your response to that? Let me ask, I want you to respond to one other thing before we go, which is your domestic challenges. You are under investigation for bribery, fraud, breach of trust. You've also had some uh, difficulty for failed attempts to put together a government in the last 23 months. This leads to the criticism that your current actions are basically an effort to stay in power. And what's your response to that? But this is a persistent criticism, Mr. Prime Minister. Why do you think it persists? Incredible. Is that not incredible, Mr. Producer? There wasn't a single serious question aimed at eliciting new or significant information for the American people, which is the job of a journalist. He cites Bernie Sanders' op-ed, Bernie Sanders hates the state of Israel, Bernie Sanders is part of the stooge brigades in the Democrat Party. Of course, Bernie Sanders hates America, as does the stooge brigade in the Democrat Party. Uh, Tony Blinken, and so forth and so on. But these are the sources he uses to pose his questions, which aren't questions in the least. The point of the question is to create a narrative. It's really very simple, ladies and gentlemen. Hamas started shooting missiles at Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, as well as border towns in Israel. And that's what started it. I heard Juan Williams on The Five, and I I must say it was contemptible, regurgitating the talking points of the terrorist 
Hamas and terrorist Palestinian Authority Abbas regimes. Where he said, this really started because, you know, the Jews, the Israelis are trying to remove people from their homes in Jerusalem. Now we've talked about this. I'm not going to walk you through this again. It's unnecessary. But does he not know that in 1948, those homes were literally stolen from the Jews who were living there by the Jordanian government and the army in 1948? Does he not know this has been litigated now for decades? The Palestinians actually won the first round. It was ruled that while it wasn't their property, they could stay there if they paid rent, and they refused to pay rent for the last 40, 50 years. And then a court ruled that, yes, it's clear that the properties did belong to these Jewish families. I think we're talking about four properties, give or take. But that's not what started this. Abbas was running for re-election. Abbas is serving the 17th year of his four-year term. He was elected once, and he doesn't want an election. He canceled the election. He canceled the election because Hamas was about to win. That's why Hamas started to shoot missiles, to show the Palestinians, who are not in the Gaza Strip, but in other parts of Israel, that Hamas stands for them. And so they started firing missiles at Israel. Israel had nothing to do with this. And you would think Juan Williams would inform himself enough before he makes a comment like that. And you would think Mr. Dickerson here would have enough information so he could comment like that. You would think Jen Psaki, the spokes idiot for the idiot, would have enough information so she could comment on this. This was a, a war that was begun by Abbas and Hamas. Israel had nothing to do with it. And that's why I wanted to pay, uh, play and have Mr. Producer put together this montage for you so you could hear the, how corrupt, how corrupt our media are. I mean, thoroughly and completely corrupt. Now, as for the Associated Press, and you've heard this for days, even again from our, our favorite cable network's reporter in Jerusalem, Trey Yinkst, how is it that Trey Yinks gets information from Hamas tells Fox News? It's because they have to believe that you are willing and you are prepared to regurgitate things that they say or to edit them. Now, I want to talk briefly about our corrupt media. And I mean corrupt as hell. This story that the AP and other news organizations like Al Jazeera, here they are in this building. And thank the Lord that when the Israelis hit it, nobody died. And now the Israelis have to explain why they hit it. And this has been going on for days. Well, Netanyahu explained that they told everybody to get out of that building. That's why there was not a single casualty in this 13th-floor building that was, that was leveled. And they did provide intelligence to American intelligence, explaining that, in fact, Hamas had an operation in that building, an intelligence operation that it was using to coordinate, in part, its attacks on Israel. And that information was provided to the Biden administration. I guess something, one of the few things they haven't leaked to the media. But it raises the question, how can the Associated Press, the biggest news service in the world, let alone the biggest wire service in the world, 
How could it be in this building with staff in that building and not know that Hamas is operating out of that building? The fact is they know Hamas is operating out of that building because one of the reporters that used to work in the AP's Gaza Bureau used to work in that building. Now listen to this report, if you would, from our our friends at Blaze Media. Former Associated Press reporter Matty Friedman directly contradicted Associated Press President and CEO Gary Pruitt, who claimed Saturday the AP was unaware that Hamas terrorists were using the same building in Gaza City where AP and other media outlets housed their Gaza bureaus. After Israeli Defense Forces targeted a high-rise building in Gaza Saturday, which housed an AP bureau, along with offices for other media outlets, including Al Jazeera, the IDF revealed Hamas intelligence forces also occupied the building. But in a statement, AP CEO Pruitt claims his staffers had no indication, quote-unquote, Hamas worked from the building and demanded Israel reveal evidence to prove terrorists, in fact, occupied the building. Now, this former AP journalist, Matty Friedman, revealed in a 2014 article for The Atlantic and later the Tablet newspaper that AP journalists knew about the presence of Hamas terrorists. And he wrote this in 2014, explaining how Hamas uses the media to disseminate its narrative about the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Here's what he wrote. In part, couple, just one paragraph. When Hamas's leaders surveyed their assets before this summer's round of fighting, he's talking about 2014, they knew that among those assets was the international press. The AP staff in Gaza City would witness a rocket launch right beside their office, endangering reporters and other civilians nearby. And you know why? Because some of the rockets don't hit their targets. They blow up right in place. And people are wondering if that has caused some of the casualties in Gaza as well. And the AP wouldn't report it. Not even in AP articles about Israeli claims that Hamas was launching rockets from residential areas. He says this happened. Hamas fighters would burst into the AP's Gaza Bureau and threaten the staff. And the AP wouldn't report it. He says this also happened. Cameramen waiting outside Shifa Hospital in Gaza City would film the arrival of civilian casualties and then, at a signal from an official, turn off their cameras when wounded and dead fighters came in, helping Hamas maintain the illusion that only civilians were dying. He says this happened too. The information comes from multiple sources. Paul Colford, the AP spokesman, confirmed that armed militants entered the AP's Gaza office in the early days of the war to complain about a photo showing the location of a rocket launch, though he said that Hamas's claim that the men did not represent the group. That's what they claim. The AP does not report many interactions with militias, it says. But Friedman also explained that Hamas knows international coverage from the territory could be molded to its needs, and that reporters can be intimidated when necessary, and that they would not report the intimidation. And a source close to Israeli Foreign Minister Gabi Ashkenazi told the Jerusalem Post that Israeli officials provided the U.S. government with evidence to corroborate their claim that Hamas military assets operated from that building. 
He said, we showed them the smoking gun proving Hamas worked out of that building. I understand they found the explanation satisfactory. Now, meanwhile, meanwhile, they lied about it for days. Literally days, the Associated Press. And what I want to do when we come back, again, to show you how corrupt the American media are, particularly the biggest media outfit in the world, is expand on this. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. And if we are going to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these things, and it teaches them still today. The great news is that we can all study these things along with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. My friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. I want to focus in on the AP the way I focused in on the New York Times over the years and why you cannot trust the American media. You already know this, but I'm just giving you more muscle to add to the bone. I don't have enough time in this segment. I think I have about two minutes, but a couple of things on the side that I want to mention. I understand Matthew Lamer, the commander of the... Uh, the new Space Force, has been removed because he's self-published a book on the effects of critical race theory in the military. It is outrageous that they would remove this man from his post for stating these things. These are obvious points about this Marxist ideology. And I, uh, I also want to point out that uh, American Marxism, which addresses not just critical race theory, but the immigration issue, the genderism issue, the uh, climate change issue, all these issues, and gets deeply into all these other things, is headed to the printer today. Headed to the printer today. Hard copy, ebook, audio orders, we are now over 80,000 pre-orders. I want to strongly encourage you to keep it up. Keep it up. Let's get the pre-orders. Let's get to 100,000. I will make a big announcement when we do. It's time to rock the world to the left. That's up to you. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. And if we are going to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these things, and it teaches them still today. The great news is that we can all study these things, along with Hillsdale College professors, right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, 
the wisdom of ancient Judeo-Christian philosophers and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. My friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Right versus left is... Right versus wrong. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. In a World War II, was a big damn deal. We were attacked at Pearl Harbor. We lost almost half a million men and women fighting that war. 16 million men and women in this country were involved in the war directly. The greatest generation unfortunately, of which there are very few left. The war against the Axis powers. Imagine if we had lost that war. But was it too much to ask the New York Times to report the truth? The answer is yes. But you know about that, thanks to unfreedom of the press. So the next question is, was it too much for the Associated Press to report the truth? Here we are, Yankees, red-blooded Americans, going off to war. It affected every corner of this country. The survival of this country, the survival of the free world. Up against Hitler and Tojo and Mussolini. And the horror of those regimes. Many of you had fathers and grandfathers who went to that war. And you've talked to them about it. They're still alive. They talk about it, not in necessarily great detail, but it was a horrendous war. Everything was on the line. And even then, we couldn't count on the media. Even then. This same Maddie Friedman, formerly the Associated Press, who pointed out that the AP did in fact know that Hamas was operating out of their building did in fact know wrote a piece for tabletmag.com four years ago almost to the day he said did the Associated Press the venerable American agency that is one of the world's biggest news provider collaborate with the Nazis during World War II you talk about a corrupt media they've always been corrupt They're just more out of the closet now. A report and new counter-report on this subject offer a few striking lessons. Not just for students of history, but for anyone concerned with the way news coverage shapes our perception right now. Right now. A paper last year by the German historian Harriet Scharnberg titled The A&P of Propaganda, AP, and published in Studies in Contemporary History, makes the case that beginning in the mid-1930s, the Associated Press's photo office in Germany made compromise after compromise to keep reporting under Nazi rule, obeying successive orders from the Hitler regime until it ended up as a Nazi information arm in all but name. Sound familiar? Remaining in Berlin after its competitors departed in 1935, 
allowed the AP to serve as a key channel for German propaganda, she wrote, an arrangement the New York-based agency was eager to preserve, even if it meant removing all of its Jewish photographers in keeping with Nazi race laws, for example, and even if it meant issuing a statement to the official SS magazine swearing that the photo bureau was pure Aryan. This is the AP. In the Nazi years, according to Scharnberg, the AP was selling German images in the United States and selling images from the United States in Germany, allowing photographs of American Jews and others to be used in some of the vilest racial propaganda produced by the Nazi state. The Associated Press. Now, the Associated Press, for example, was the leading supplier of images for a propaganda book called The Jews in the USA, and in the third place among suppliers of photos for the book, The Subhuman, the AP. Eventually, Scharnberg claimed the line between the AP's German photo operation and the Nazi regime effectively ceased to exist, even as the Nazis pursued projects like the concentration camp at Dachau, which opened in 1933, and the euthanasia of disabled children, which began in the summer of 1939. What did the AP decide to cover and how? Well, the head of AP's picture service in Berlin went on to be an official Nazi photo censor. If if AP photos from the German advance into Poland and Russia offered an image of the war that didn't show things like the organized murder of tens of thousands of Jews and others behind the lines, it was perhaps because the photos were taken by the people like Franz Roth, who was, we learned from Scharnberg's report, simultaneously an AP photographer, an SS Oberschafer, that is a senior squad leader, and photojournalist in the SS Propaganda Company. So he's working for the Nazis and the American Associated Press. In his SS role, Roth took propaganda images showing Soviet prisoners as ugly human specimens. And AP in turn received exclusive rights to the propaganda photos which were published in newspapers in Atlanta and Los Angeles. While claiming to be covering Germany, the historian argued, the AP photo operation was in fact engaged in an illusion of coverage crafted in partisanship with the Nazi regime. Instead of reporting on the reality of life under the regime, the Associated Press blinded and hobbled by its accommodations and relations helped obscure what was actually happening inside Germany and the way the Nazis waged war. The impact at the time is hard to determine, Schoenberg writes. She said, nevertheless, it's reasonable to assume that the intuitive sympathies and and antipathies of American newspaper readers were not unaffected, at least in the short term, by pictures that usually depicted the Germans as triumphant blitzkrieg fighters and their opponents as sullen, sly military failures. Now you can see how the AP and the American press reports on our military, reports on our cops, and now is reporting on the Middle East. The historian's report was damaging enough to warrant a fascinating and deeply researched counter-report from the AP in its wartime record, published last month. This is in 2017. The factual findings of the AP's own report do much to amplify Scharnberg's indictment. And to the right hands could have been an admirable exercise in self-criticism. Instead, the Associated Press chose to present its findings with a defensive tone that suggests, well, while the news organization has unearthed a great deal of information, 
editors remain confused about what it all means. Yes, we learned the AP cooperated with the purging of Jews when competitors like the New York Times refused to accept Nazi dictates and left. Yeah, came back to the United States where it covered it up. Unbelievable. Did the AP protest the use of its photos and propaganda that fueled genocide? Quote, to date, no records have surfaced to suggest AP objected to such practices at the time, the report admits. But yes, this submission is actually followed by a but. We should be reassured that rules about handling such cases were changed in the 1960s and so forth. Now, after World War II, the AP rehired one of its staffers who had joined the Waffen-SS and employed him until he retired in 1978. Another character connected to the AP photo operation, Helmut Locks, who was also part of the SS, preferred never to discuss his wartime activities, according to his daughter. The argument in the AP's counter-report is that while mistakes were made, here and there, the big decisions were right. Whatever the cost, the AP, quote, conducted, uh, excuse me, concluded it had to remain to provide coverage for U.S. newspapers and the American public. Well, the AP's justification for its actions is what makes the dueling reports worthy of attention, and not just from historians. Or to quote the AP's old associate from the SS, what's interesting about this affair is the future, not the past. The choice faced by the AP in the 1930s, leave with your integrity intact, or stay and collaborate in the name of access, didn't end with World War II, and it is hardly the sole concern of the AP. It is a question that affects most news organizations operating today, and one that is almost always answered wrong. Western news organizations that maintain a presence in countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia, for example, make compromises in return for access and almost never tell readers what those compromises are. The result, in many cases, is something worse than no coverage. It's something that looks like coverage, but is actually misinformation, giving people the illusion that they know what's going on instead of telling them outright that they're getting information shaped by regimes trying to mislead them. And this is my problem with some of the reporting, most of it, that's going on now. Most of it that's going on now. When you have a reporter that says his news organization has provided information from Hamas, Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas is listed by our State Department as a terrorist organization. It is a terrorist organization as much as Al-Qaeda is a terrorist organization. And for a news organization to say, Hamas has provided us with the following and the this and the that. What does that mean? I asked you this the other day, last week. They don't just give information to anybody. They don't just allow reporters to walk in the Gaza Strip and so forth. This is fascinating and troubling. A good example came to light in 2014, seven decades after the moral confusion detailed in Schomburg's report about the Nazis, with the publication of a detailed expose on the AP's bureau in North Korea. In North Korea, it sounds familiar, he writes. The bureau in Beyond Yang, wrote veteran journalist Nate Thayer, reporting for the specialist website nknews.com, was not staffed by AP reporters from outside the country. The full-time staffers were North Koreans who worked for AP. They were paid by AP, but answered to the regime. 
A written agreement between the AP and North Korean government allowed the AP to sell propaganda images, like those lovely choreographed rallies outside the country, while the North Korean staffers studiously avoided subjects like mass starvation and prison camps. The AP was unhappy with Thayer's report and dismissed his claims, but it didn't refute them. And then he goes on. Remember, this is 2017. The most relevant example from my own experience as an AP correspondent in Jerusalem between 2006 and 2011 is Gaza, which is controlled by Hamas and where the AP has a sub-bureau. Running that sub-bureau requires both passive and active cooperation with Hamas. To give one example of many, during the Israel-Hamas war that erupted at the end of 2008, our local Palestinian reporter in Gaza informed the news desk in Jerusalem that Hamas fighters were dressed as civilians and were being counted as civilians in the death toll. A crucial detail. A few hours later, he called again and asked me to strike the detail from the story, which I did personally. Someone had clearly spoken to him, and the implication was that he personally was at risk. After I published this detail in an essay for Tablet in 2014, the bureau chief at the time confirmed it, adding that a refusal to comply would have put our reporter's life in danger. (coughs) So they were dressing up Hamas terrorists who were killed as civilians. From that moment on, more or less, AP's coverage from Gaza became a quiet collaboration with Hamas. Certain rules were made clear to the local staffers in Gaza, and those of us outside Gaza were warned not to put our Gazan staff at risk. Our coverage shifted accordingly, though we never informed our readers. Hamas military actions were left vague or ignored, while the effects of Israeli actions were reported as length at length, giving the impression of a wanton Israeli aggression just as Hamas wanted it. When a reporter wrote a story about Hamas censorship in the summer of 2014, AP editors shelved it. We were trading truth for access and providing an illusion of coverage that was actually propaganda, a, a, a kind all the more effective because it was not tag propaganda, but simply Gaza City Associated Press. You can show genuine footage of a house destroyed by an Israeli strike, but if you don't show the Hamas fighters launching a rocket from the backyard, your report is a lie. The news industry's answer to this kind of criticism tends to be the reporting part of the story is better than nothing. Just as the AP argued that it was critical for AP to remain in Germany and gather news and photos during this crucial period, even if the news and photos in question were actually shaped by the Nazis and actively used by them to achieve strategic aims. This decision was controversial at the time. One of the most interesting parts of the AP's own report quotes U.S. Secretary of Interior Harold Ickes, criticizing the AP's work in Germany in 1941. Ickes said, I sometimes wonder whether we would not be better off without dispatches from that country if the alternative is to be fed daily doses of arsenical propaganda. It's some of the people making decisions about news haven't changed their thinking since then, even though no one today questions the true nature of the Nazi regime and the gap between uh, those AP photos and ones we've now seen from places like Dachau and Auschwitz. But in reality, if you're inside the borders of a tyrannical regime, you can't accurately relay what is happening inside. And once you've established a permanent presence inside, as all three examples discussed here show, your independence and standards are compromised. In the case of Gaza, 
Is the right choice really to have staffers inside when the reporting could be controlled by Hamas? Or would it be more productive for the AP and other news groups to report from outside Gaza while working sources on the inside making useful players, Egyptian intel, Israeli intel, Palestinian reporters in the West Bank? Give a more accurate picture. People in charge at the Associated Press were wrong in 1935. It matters today because they and their competitors are wrong now in similar ways, he says, and it goes on. Now you know why you're getting what you're getting from the Middle East. It's not just the AP. When you hear reporters say, Hamas has provided us with XYZ, a terrorist organization that doesn't care how many people are killed on either side of the border, then you know that they've been corrupted. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. And if we are going to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these things, and it teaches them still today. The great news is that we can all study these things along with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. My friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. You folks know more about the truth when it comes to the New York Times, about the truth when it comes to the Associated Press, as a result of taking the time and the interest to be in this audience. I can hit all the hot red buttons too, but that's not what I'm up to. You wonder why Donald Trump was treated the way he was treated? You wonder why you're treated the way you're treated? Look at these people. Look, look at how fraudulent they are. Look how they've contributed to the destruction of this country. Look how they're mouthpieces for American Marxism. Whether it's in academia, teachers unions, the front groups for the immigration movement. Just look at it. So in the media report like this, as they did during World War II, as they, not all, but the biggies, as virtually all of them report in the Middle East today, we, the American people, are not getting the facts. They are pushing their propaganda, or worse yet, they're pushing the propaganda, as they were in World War II, of the Nazis. In the 1932-33 period, they were pushing the propaganda of Joseph Stalin against the Ukrainians. Today, they're pushing the propaganda of Hamas and the Palestinian terrorists against the Israelis. Just as they have trashed us over the course of the last... He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, 
deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You want to hear something else that's interesting? I touched on this the other day. Karl Marx was first and foremost a journalist. Did you know this before I mentioned it the other day? I didn't know it. And yet he wrote for years. He wrote for many years. This is in uh, American Marxism because I thought in the section on propaganda, censorship, and subversion, which is the next to the last chapter, you'd want to know about this as well as many other things. Writing in Jacobin magazine, a socialist magazine, Stephen Sherman notes that Marx was a journalist more or less all of his adult life. He started writing for a German paper in 1842 and founded his own paper in 1848. His work for the New York Tribune came about because he'd met an American newspaper editor, Charles Dana, would later go on to edit the New York Sun in Cologne in 1848. And a few years later, Dana asked Marx to contribute some articles to the New York Tribune on the situation in Germany. And he did for years. For years. He said, I think that Marx and Engels viewed the Tribune as a way to politicize their views and to influence debate with a large number of readers. In an interview with James Ledbetter, the editor of Dispatches for the New York Tribune, a 2008 book of Marx's articles for the Tribune, Ledbetter explains that, and he probably has done the most research on this than anybody, the basic Marx approach to his New York Tribune column was to take an event that was in the news, an election, an uprising, the Second Opium War, the outbreak of the American Civil War, and sift through it until he could boil it down to some fundamental questions of politics or economics. Then on those questions, he would make his judgment. In this sense, listen to this. Marx's journalism does resemble some of the writing that is published today in journals of opinion, and it's not hard to see a direct line between Marx's journalistic writing and the kind of tendacious writing in public affairs that characterized much political journalism in the 20th century. Marx. And I add, Marx's approach to journalism, as modern journalists do today, that is, He was unencumbered by a commitment to actual news reporting. Instead, his reporting would shape the news around his own opinions and ideology. I'm trying to explain here what this mindset is. Now, I continue. After 1848, Marx learned the power of counter-revolution, writes Ledbetter, and began to believe that existing systems of government and economy could not be overthrown until a relatively informed and organized proletariat could be mobilized to do so. As became clear with every passing year, in many nations, such organization was decades away, if it existed at all. So Marx understood, folks, the power of mass communication and the need to control it and shape it to frame it. In other words, the purpose was to propagandize, not inform. You want to hear a little more, Mr. Producer? Reading through Marx's Tribune dispatches, New York Tribune dispatches, writes Ledbetter, you can't help but see an urgency, 
and excitement, almost an impatience, in his portrayals of some insurrections and crises in Europe and India. At times he wrote as if this particular rise in corn prices or this little dust-up with authorities in Greece was to be the spark that would ignite revolution. And it's not as if one can fault Marx for feeling that way. After all, during this period, crowned heads of Europe were toppling, and certainly at least liberal revolutions seem likely in a number of settings. But there are times when his discipline of thought appears to leave him. And he's also prone to the tautology that revolution can only occur when the masses are ready. But we can't know for certain if the masses are ready until they create a revolution. In fact, Ledbetter explains that Marx was indeed a revolutionary advocating his ideology, but he was first and foremost a journalist. A journalist. He writes, Marx today is taught as an economic theorist, as a political thinker, and to some degree as a historian and philosopher. Each category is valid, each is also incomplete. The historical record at least suggests another category, that Marx should be thought of as a professional writer, as a journalist. Marx produced, with help from Engels, nearly 500 articles for the New York Tribune, which together amassed nearly seven volumes of the two men's 50-volume collected works. I think we come closer to understanding the importance of rhetoric in Marx's work if we think of him as a journalist. I tell you, I work hard on these books. I dig and dig and dig, and look at this. Look what pops up. I almost celebrate when I see stuff like this, because it confirms what you and I have known. And then I add, the fact is modern journalists from the New York Times and the Washington Post to CNN and MSNBC and most other news platforms have much in common with Marx the journalist, as will become evident, I write later in the chapter. They've abandoned the traditional role of a reporter for that of so-called social activists, driving most of the same major issues and agendas as the various Marxist movements in the United States. And the transition didn't happen overnight, but has been building for the better part of a century. I'll stop there. It's just a tiny little snippet in Chapter 6, Propaganda, Censorship, and Subversion. And I hope you'll grab your pre-order copies now. We're on the move. We're getting there. Those of you who have jumped in, I want to thank you. We're getting there. I figure we're a few weeks away from getting the pre-orders where I feel they need to be for us to counter this counter-revolution. And by God, it is a revolution. I mean, I have articles here. Oklahoma governor booted from Tulsa Race Massacre Commission because he signed a law outlawing critical race theory in Oklahoma. Spanish politician temporarily suspended by Twitter after saying a man cannot get pregnant. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, folks. It's really, truly grotesque. And the media play a major role. The media do not promote liberty. The media do not promote Americanism. The media do not promote free market capitalism and property rights. The media do not promote the Bill of Rights. The media do not promote fair and accurate elections. This is why the media and the Democrat Party are one and the same. This is why the media spews Hamas talking points. 
This is why the media covered up the Holocaust. In the case of the Associated Press, worked for the Nazis. And in the case of the New York Times in 1932, and before and beyond, worked for Joseph Stalin, in effect, through Walter Durante. These are the people you and I are supposed to be informed by? And you can see how it's a bloody mess now. How it's poured into the streets with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Where they clearly took the side of Black Lives Matter. A Marxist, anarchist, racist, anti-Semitic organization. With Democrat mayors painting that name on major boulevards. Antifa, almost every night, is committing an act of riotous violence. Mostly peaceful, of course. And the idea that President Trump incited an insurrection is the big lie. But you know what Goebbels said about the big lie. Repeated often enough, people will believe it. The media in this country are a huge disaster, which is why I have to keep talking about it and keep applying facts to what takes place. I'll be right back. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. And I'm doing the best I can today, folks. I'll be honest with you. Um, how, how can I put this? You know, a year ago, year ago exactly today, we had to put down Barney, my little dog. And it brings up a lot of memories about my father, my mother, and my little buddy. Because they all passed away in really in relatively short period of time, one from the other. So when I get contemplative, it's, it's tough. And you might say, well, a dog is a dog. Well, I can't agree with you. That dog was with me through thick and thin, everything. And he had a big smile on his face all the time. And he came within a day or two of losing his life when this wonderful group, Lost Dog and Cat, in Virginia, 
led by the great Pam, saved him and six or seven others. And uh, our dog Pepsi had passed away, and it would have been about six, six and a half months, and I would go to the dog adoption events. I hope they all come back, because last year, obviously, they had to stop them. Just to try and help get dogs adopted, I wasn't interested in adopting another dog yet. And um, I did that a few weekends in a row, and then I stopped. I went again. My buddy Eric wanted to go, and we went to, I think it was a PetSmart. And uh, he got on the floor with this little white one, kind of a dirty white color. And he was less than 20 pounds, and he had a bad haircut. But he was smiling, and he also seemed to be a little panicky, like, what am I doing here? And he wanted to adopt this dog, but he already had three, and so he wasn't able to. And I had held this dog, too. And we left, and then I called Pam, who runs Lost Dog and Cat, and I said to her, what's the history of this dog? Nobody seems to want him. He wasn't a purebred. He wasn't a puppy, but he was young. And she said, well, somebody dropped him off in one of these uh, rural counties in Virginia at the uh, county animal shelter where they do kill the dogs. Some of them certainly do. And uh, just dropped him off. I said, just dropped them off? She said, we've had him over four weeks. We've had him over a month. I said, nobody wants him? I said, look, I want you to give him a nice haircut. I think somebody will adopt him. And I'll give you the money for that. So the next day they did that. And I got thinking about this dog. This poor little thing. The owner drops him off. He has no idea what in the hell is going on. Every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, he's taken to one of these adoption shows with all the other dogs and people coming and going, this little dog must wonder what the hell is going on. What did I do to deserve this? Where's my owner? And he was house trained. So I didn't really feel I was ready because I missed our Pepsi, who died in a terrible way. And I said, well, has that dog been adopted yet? Called her the next day, two days later. She said, no. I said, well, I'm going to adopt him. Don't give him to anybody else. She said, you are? I said, yes. I want that dog. So we, he was at the vet because they neutered him and so forth. It's all checked up. was fine. So in another 48 hours or so, so four days from that, weekend, my buddy Eric and I went and picked him up, and I drove, and Eric held him, brought him into the house, and he exploded with happiness. He was running around the house like he'd always been there. And that's the way he always was. He had to have major back surgery. About four years later, I was afraid we'd lose him. 
the December of uh, 2019 looked like his back was going to cause more problems. We brought him to the vet. Wonderful, wonderful neurologist. And the next day, he recovered on his own. He didn't need what we feared would be a life-threatening operation. And that was December 2019. And then uh, a year ago today, I wrote all the times down. It's the way I am. At a little after 10 a.m. in the morning, when Julie and I, my wife and I, were walking him, we walked him about, oh, maybe 30, 40 feet from the door, the neighbor's lawn. He didn't collapse, but he plopped down, and he couldn't get up. I said, what the hell is going on here? We took him to the vet, and we had to drop him off. I couldn't go in because of the COVID rules. And they called. We sat outside in the car, and they called me about 30, 40 minutes later, and they said, he's in very poor condition. We'll continue to review. You can go home. We'll call you when they come back. Turns out he had a uh, cancerous tumor around his heart. It started leaking. Turns out it had already spread to his gut. Turns out it's an extraordinarily rare cancer that mostly larger dogs, purebreds of certain types get. He was a small dog and he was a mutt. But they pointed out that the tumor is going to suffocate him because it's tightening on the heart. And we could see that he was huffing and puffing a little and he couldn't stand up on his own. I won't tell you the rest in the final moments because I don't think I'm capable of it. But it's very difficult, as many of you know, to love something like that and be the one to say it's time when that dog's looking you in the eyes happy was happy happy to see us and you have to be the one to say end his life and so it brings back all the memories of your parents and of course that's that day today So if I'm stumbling a little today or bumping around a little bit today, you know why. I'll be right back. Uh, It's too early. There you go. I already stumbled. I'll be right back. This is the nation's town hall meeting. And you can join in at 877-381-3811. All right, I'm ready to move on. Sorry. Now, my father and my mother, they were fighters. They were fighters. And my dad once said to me, I believe the good Lord didn't want me killed 
in World War II so I could have a son like you. Which is something I will never forget. But by that he meant, among other things, fight for the country. Fight for our liberty. Do whatever you have to do. He was for Donald Trump before anybody I know was for Donald Trump. He was an early Reaganite, as was my mother. They both voted for Barry Goldwater in 1964. Two Jews who lived in Philadelphia, who didn't have much money, in a basement apartment. That wasn't your typical Barry Goldwater voter. And I said to them, why did you vote for Goldwater? I've told this once or twice over the 20 years here. And my dad said, I know the S they were saying about Goldwater couldn't be true. So I voted for him. And they always supported everything I did. And uh, that's why I'm behind this microphone. That's why I've written this book, American Marxism. Because I know it's important that we each do what we can in our own role in life. Maybe you're an electrician. Maybe you're a truck driver. Maybe you're a housewife. Or student. Whatever you are, it's very important. And you affect people around you the way my parents affected me. You affect people around you down the street. You affect people around you who you meet, who you work with, or who work for you. And so we can have a lot of influence. There's tens of millions of us who love this country and decry what's going on in this country. Tens of millions of us. Red-blooded Americans. Why do I get into this stuff with these reporters? Why do I go deep what's going on in the Middle East? Why do I do these things? Because we're better than all this. And we need to know what took place. Who to trust and who not to trust. If I may, I think this will interest you as well. Again, in the same chapter 6 of American Marxism. There was a brilliant professor of English at the University of Chicago. His name was Richard Weaver. In the late 1940s, he wrote a book, Ideas Have Consequences. And this is something I've been saying for years here, even before I read his book. I knew who he was, but I decided I needed to study this man. And he wrote brilliantly about many things. But about the modern press, he said, the modern press is actually a highly negative force in our society. He wasn't opposed to a free press, of course, but he was repelled by what it had become, even back then. He wrote, for Plato, truth was a living thing, never wholly captured by men, even in animated discourse and in its purest form, certainly, never brought to paper. In our day, it would seem that a contrary presumption has grown up, <coughs> excuse me, the more firmly and utterances stereotyped the more likely it is to win credit. 
Think about that sentence in the context of what they did to Donald Trump and how they lied about this man. Or how they tell you that January 6th was an insurrection incited by him. Or how they're reporting about a terrorist organization attacking the state of Israel. Or so many other things. Think about that sentence. The more firmly an utterance is stereotyped, the more likely it is to win credit. It is assumed that engines as expensive and as powerful as the modern printing press will naturally be placed in the hands of men of knowledge. Faith in the printed word has raised journalism to the rank of oracles. And how could there be a better description of them than the line from Phadrus? Quote, They will appear to be omniscient and will generally know nothing. They will be tiresome, having the reputation of knowledge without the reality. Another powerful sentence, wouldn't you say? He went on to write, If the realization of truth is the product of a meeting of minds, we may be skeptical of the physical ability of the mechanism to propagate it as long as the propagation is limited to the printing and distribution of stories which give one unvarying answer. In other words, we have a collective, an aggregate, of unknowledgeable propagandists. That's what the American media have become. He says, and this circumstance brings up at once the question of the intention of the rulers of the press. The question of the intention of the rulers of the press. There's much to indicate that modern publication, that the, that the modern publication wishes to minimize discussion. Despite many artful pretensions to the contrary, it does not want an exchange of views say perhaps in academic matters. Instead, it encourages men to read in the hope that they will absorb. It encourages men to read in the hope that they will absorb propaganda, indoctrination, brainwashing. And in this, Weaver is condemning the nature of media as organized propaganda involving individuals who are not particularly bright or knowledgeable about the matters on which they write or speak about this. This John Dickerson had faced the nation Sunday. George Stephanopoulos, every time he speaks. Chuck Todd, the dumbest of the bunch. Handed meet the press, for goodness sake. And Weaver argued that there's another circumstance which raises grave doubts about the contribution of journalism to the public wheel. Newspapers are under strong pressure to distort in the interest of holding attention. In reviewing the persistent tendency, he also writes, of newspapers to corrupt, I shall cite a passage from author James Fenimore Cooper. Though Cooper lived before the advent of yellow journalism, he seems to have stated the essential situation with a truth and eloquence impossible to improve on when he said, As the press of this country now exists, it would seem to be expressly devised by the great agent of mischief, to depress and destroy all that is good, and to elevate and advance all that is evil in the nation. He said the little truth that is urged is usually urged coarsely, weakened and rendered vicious by personalities, while those who live by falsehoods, fallacies, enmities and partialities and the schemes of the designing find the press the very instrument that the devils would invent to affect their designs. So in other words, he's saying, look, The press is a disaster. 
It's corrupt through and through. Except, of course, if you're evil. Then the press works for you. In fact, if you're evil, could you invent anything better than the modern press? It's really quite remarkable. Again, just a tiny little taste, little flavor. Chapter 6, Propaganda, Censorship, and Subversion in my new book, American Marxism, that just went to the printer. I hope you'll pre-order your copies, give copies to your friends and colleagues, particularly kids in college or going to college, your kids or grandkids or high school, so we can combat this. First thing to do is educate, inform, to take the veneer off these entities and these institutions and these individuals. And then a call to action with specifics. Again, the most important book I've ever written, certainly given the times. Oh, by the way, before I go to the break, something really strange happened over the weekend. I'm getting emails telling me that we typed the name of your book into the Amazon book finder space there, and it doesn't show up. So I'm no genius on this. I tried it. It didn't show up. I called Mr. Producer, right, Rich? I said, will you check this out? Rich is good at this stuff. He called, said, it's not showing up. So I wrote the publisher. He was actually a good guy. And he said, Amazon's having an issue with their algorithms. They're on it immediately. It's not just you. It's a number of their authors. So some of you came up against a brick wall. They did fix it. You can go there now. And if you try, don't be deterred. It's working beautifully right now. I see I'm right behind Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Who's good to be behind? I wish everybody well. I really do. And Dr. Seuss's books came under enough tack, but obviously people like them. And I hope you'll get your copies of American Marxism. It's working now on Amazon. I'll be right back. Mark Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. There's a lot of story about UFOs lately, have you noticed? Even on my favorite cable channel. I do believe in extraterrestrial life. How can there not be? How can there not be? 
we don't even know where our universe ends. And we're only one universe. There's infinite number of universes. And our minds can't really wrap around that, that there really is no end to space. There's no end to space. Makes you realize just what tiny little pieces of this whole thing we really are, right? But I actually saw an extraterrestrial once, Mr. Bedusa. Have you ever told you about this? Weirdest looking damn thing. Extremely white, almost translucent. The eyes kept blinking in a strange way, like out of sync. Out of sync. It looked like it looked like this extraterrestrial had attempted to do something with the top of its head. Actually kind of put hair on the top of its head. So where does damn thing? And then I realized, here I am, I'm on an Amtrak train, and it's Joe Biden. I turned around, it was Joe Biden, Mr. Producer. I wonder if extraterrestrials look like Joe Biden. I, I don't know. It was a little spooky, I have to confess. Then I realized it was Joe Biden. I understand Joe Biden used to love to take that train like the roller coaster at uh, Disneyland. Just go back and forth from Washington to Wilmington just because he could. Enjoyed the kosher hot dogs, I think. Where they zapped him in the microwave. That's our Joe there. There's Lunch Bucket Joe. President of the United States. I have a headline story here from Lucas Manfred, Manfredi. Excuse me. And Lucas Manfredi at Fox News reports, Spanish politician temporarily suspended by Twitter after saying a man cannot get pregnant. Twitter told, uh, told him, his name is Contreras, his comments violated the platform's policies on hate speech. Uh, can a man have a child? Physically? Biologically? No, I don't believe they can. I mean, uh, does anybody know one who did? So Twitter uh, temporarily suspended the Spanish politician, Francisco Jose Contreras, deputy to Spain's far-right Vox party. Far-right. Notice there's nothing ever far-left. Locked out of his Twitter account for 12 hours last week after saying a man cannot get pregnant because they have no uterus or eggs. Contreras' comments were in response to an article he shared on the social media platform about a transgender male who announced they were a father after giving birth to a baby. He said in a Facebook post on May 11th that he had received a message from Twitter which informed that he had violated its policies on hate speech for the remarks. What's ahead of Twitter's name again, Mr. Producer? Jack Dorsey? Hey, Jack Dorsey! I better not say it. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. 
is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The reason, by the way, and I don't need to spend a lot of time on this, the reason why we are defeating and have, defeated, have actually defeated the coronavirus is because of herd immunity and vaccinations. This is exactly what the most brilliant among us not working for Dr. Fauci, not Dr. Fauci, but at various universities across this country who've had the guts to speak out. This is exactly what they've been saying, and this is exactly the signs that President Trump followed. You recall he kept demanding that we open our economies because these governors had shut them. Recall he kept demanding that we push for therapeutics and vaccines. Donald Trump was actually a superb leader. A superb leader. And he got a tremendous amount done and a tremendous amount underway. Joe Biden can't even decide when and where you should wear masks. His CDC director can't decide when and where and who should wear masks. He can't decide when and where and if schools should open. Joe Biden is a human pandemic, as I've said. Herd immunity and vaccinations were always the answer to this virus. Always the answer to this virus. And President Trump understood that and his inner circle understood that. And he did and they did move heaven and earth to get these vaccinations. To develop vaccines in eight to nine months, experts will be writing about this one day with a footnote on Fauci. What a screw-up he was. Experts will be writing in our top business school about how Trump and his people not only pushed the bureaucracy to get this done and to get out of the way of the private sector, but how he organized this. And not only organized the development, but beyond that, how he and his team organized the preservation of the vaccines, the first two of which required rather extraordinary safeguards in terms of freezing and so forth. And then the distribution. The use of the military, the use of private entities like drugstores and so forth, absolutely unheard of before. Now, Joe Biden, of course, is applauding the results from the work of Donald Trump and the Trump administration while trying to claim credit for it all. He's a fool. He's a liar. And he's always been both even when he had mostly of his uh, mental faculties. So herd immunity and vaccines. That's why we are where we are today. That's how we got through this, and that's how we were always going to get through this. 
And when these experts would talk about herd immunity, I had them on my, my various platforms. They're always mocked or dismissed and so forth. Bill Gates has been a regular on CNN, on MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS. He's been a regular quoted in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere. He's been held up almost as an iconic figure because he's quite liberal. He's got these foundations. And he supports the radical liberal agenda for the most part. You can see him, Zuckerberg, Jack Dingbat over there, Twitter, and the rest of them. Now, there's a piece in the New York Times from yesterday, Sunday, so it's intended to be a big story. And in this New York Times piece, they begin the process of digging into who is Bill Gates. Now, the first question I had is, why do they wait for a divorce or something like that before they actually dig into this? Because Bill Gates, you know, people were quoting him and so forth. And, and obviously the so-called hosts and journalists on these other outlets, they're not going to go back and say, you know, America, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But it's because, like so many of the guests that are chosen, they're pushing a narrative. That's what they're doing. And so the New York Times has unleashed Emily Flitter and Matthew Goldstein. And they go into some of this now. In 2019, Microsoft's board of directors, Gates sits on it, opened an investigation of one of the cases. What cases? Where Mr. Gates pursued women who worked for him at Microsoft. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh. Sort of like Cuomo, you mean? Yes, yes. Well, they opened an investigation in one of those cases after being notified that Gates had sought to initiate an intimate relationship with a company employee in the year 2000, quote-unquote. Frank says Shaw, a Microsoft spokesman, said on Sunday, the board hired a law firm to investigate. The following year, Mr. Gates stepped down from Microsoft's board. The Wall Street Journal reported the 2000 incident and the board's investigation. Really? That didn't stop Gates from being a regular guest. There was an affair almost 20 years ago which ended amicably, said Bridget Arnold, a spokeswoman for Mr. Gates. Gates' decision to transition off the board was in no way related to this matter. So he had an affair. Well, then he would fit in with so many of the journalists today. And then there was Jeffrey Epstein, who Mr. Gates got to know beginning in 2011, three years after Mr. Epstein, who faced accusations of sex trafficking of girls, Pleaded guilty to soliciting prostitution from a minor. Ms. French Gates had expressed discomfort with her husband, spending time with a sex offender, but Mr. Gates continued doing so, according to people who were at a brief, who at, who were at or briefed on gatherings with the two men. Hmm. And the New York Times and CNN and the rest of them couldn't look into this before now. So in October 2019, when the relationship between Gates and Epstein burst into public view, his wife was unhappy. She hired divorce lawyers, sending a motion of process that culminated this month with the announcement that their marriage was ending. 
and the announcement of their divorce has brought attention to a marriage whose dissolution has large social and financial implications. Mr. Gates and his wife met at work. He was technically her boss. He ran Microsoft, and she began working there. And You know, this is interesting. Mr. Gates and Ms. French met at work. He was technically her boss. And you know what I wrote down yesterday in the margin here, Mr. Producer? Of course, you're not Nostradamus, but you know what I did? Tara Reid. Whatever happened at the Tara Reid story in New York Times? She was a young staffer in her 20s. Her boss was Joe Biden. And she says Joe Biden molested her. And technically, the definition would be rape. In a dark corner hallway, <coughs> excuse me, in the Capitol building. And you people had no interest whatsoever. None. That's why you're so damn corrupt. Oops, I almost said a bad word, Mr. Producer. I almost said friggin'. Now, throughout the relationship, says the New York Times, the two have played up the cute aspects of their office romance. He flirted with her when they sat together at a conference, then asked her out when they ran into each other in a company parking lot, according to Ms. French Gates. What's this French? But anyway, who described the relationship's beginnings during a public appearance in 2016. Long after they married in 1994, Mr. Gates would on occasion pursue women in the office. I'm saying he could run for governor of New York. He'd probably win. In 2006, for example, he attended a presentation by a female Microsoft employee. Mr. Gates, who at the time was the company's chairman, left the meeting and immediately emailed the woman to ask her out to dinner, according to two people familiar with the exchange. Now, let me stop again. Joe Biden is accused of molesting Tara Reid, who never really got a serious interview. There were a couple, but that's it. Even Mika Brzezinski, that was a good interview by her. I got to give her plaudits for that. By the way, Mr. Producer, in America, I was in Florida over the weekend, saw my brother. Flew out Friday, came back early this afternoon, and guess who was on my jet? Mitt Romney. Now, I didn't initially see Mitt Romney, because I'm not, like, looking around. I'm trying to find my seat and then wipe down the crap and all the rest of it. But then I sit down and I see the back of somebody's head. It's a huge head with a full head of hair, like, you know, like a, like a bear. And then I see uh, the flight attendant suggested he might want to go to first class. They had an open seat and they brought him up there. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not attacking him for any of that. But there he was in the flesh, Mitt Romney. That's neither here nor there. Let's continue. (laughs) It would have been weird, don't you think, Rich? Oh, an interview? Oh, that would have gone well. Would have been hello and walk right by. I'm not interested in Mitt Romney. Not interested in interviewing or anything he has to say, quite frankly. Mr. Gates' actions ran counter to the agenda of female empowerment that Ms. French Gates was promoting on a global stage. Even though most women, uh, I'm not going to quote Ms. French Gates. Now, in 2017, the couple confronted a sexual harassment allegation against a close associate. For nearly 30 years, Mr. Larson had served as Mr. Gates' money manager, 
earning solid returns on the Gates and Foundation's combined $174 billion investment portfolio through a secretive operation called Cascade Investment. Cascade owned assets like stocks, bonds, hotels, so forth and so on. And uh, let's see here. Rally Capital had an ownership stake in nearby bicycle shop. In 2017, the woman who managed the bike shop hired a lawyer who wrote a letter to Mr. Gates and Ms. French Gates. The letter said that Mr. Larson had been sexually harassing the man. Whoa. Larson, Gates. Who would have thought about this, Microsoft? You would think it's, you know, a bunch of geeks and nerds running around there, Mr. Producer. Apparently, they're running around with their pants around their ankles. (laughs) Anyway, the woman reached a settlement. Now, while Mr. Gates thought that brought the matter to an end, Ms. French Gates was not satisfied with the outcome to the people said. She called for a law firm to conduct an independent review of the woman's allegations and at the Cascades Culture, their investment company. Mr. Larson was put on leave while the investigation was underway, but he was eventually reinstated. About a year after the settlement, less than two weeks after Ms. French Gates' column in time about women's rights and so forth. The Times published an article detailing Mr. Gates' relationship with Epstein. Now, this is the New York slimes that helped cover up the Holocaust, so you have to wonder. But you don't have to wonder a lot. Apparently, Mr. Gates is a sleazeball. I say apparently, I should say allegedly. According to the New York slimes, of course. Uh, and these news organizations that were more than happy to use him, he used them to build his public character. But he was doing great things, you know. He was pushing the Fauci agenda. He was pushing the global climate change agenda. He was doing what the left wanted. He appeared on the same shows, excuse me, the same networks. What's that lawyer's name again? Isn't that funny? What's that lawyer's name, that, uh, that, that porno actress's lawyer's name? Do you remember his name? Avenatti. What prison is he in, do we know? What's his prison number? Anyway, uh, now you know a little bit more about uh, Bill Gates. We still don't know anything about Biden, though. What I was going to say about Biden is, when you are accused of molesting somebody like that, and if you did it, you've done it more than once. Because that shows you a sick mind. It's not like, oh, once. And Tara Reid also said that after he molested her, he was offended. He was offended that, number one, she didn't agree with it. Number two, I guess, that she wouldn't do anything that he hoped she would do. This is the unreality you and I are faced with. We don't know what's going on. We see Bill Gates on TV, looks like a geek. and the, Now we know he's a, uh, or allegedly, a sleazeball. Then we see this hack lawyer. The media couldn't help but promote him because he was giving them everything they wanted too. Ratings and a porn actress and allegations against our sitting president. He was a fraud. Complete fraud. And the media generally. As I talked about in hour one. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. We don't have enough time in this short segment. When we come back, you're not going to want to miss this. Dr. Fauci gives the graduation speech at Emory University. Quite a good school. Used to be anyway. Uh, And, of course, he's caught on to the lingo, and he exposes himself. I don't mean physically. He exposes himself. And then behind that, we have Yamichi Alcindor who is now one of the big hosts at the PBS television uh, network. Why we have a PBS, I'll never know. We can do that in the private side. But nonetheless, they take a leftist reprobate like this and put her in charge of the big news program on PBS. This is the, they're in our faces with this stuff. Fauci says that the pandemic exposed uh, systemic racism. Actually, I think it exposed systemic uh, fascism on his part and the part of the others in the government. Uh, Yamichi Alcindor says um, the CDC reversing the mask uh, guidance uh, puts people of color at risk. So you can see we're dealing with outright imbeciles. Now, Fauci's supposed area of expertise is infectious diseases, and I've talked to professors, one of them, of course, on Life, Liberty, and Levin, who has said nobody screwed up the pursuit of a cure for AIDS more than Dr. Fauci and his bureaucracy. And so now we have a virus that you cannot call the China virus, even though it came from China. We have a Spanish virus, we have all kinds of viruses Different parts of the world, we named them from the part of the world, but not the China virus because the Chinese propaganda machine owns so many of our universities and colleges and, of course, the mindset, if not the minds, of the media. But you can call the virus a story of American racism. That's okay. I want you to hear these imbeciles when we return. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. After mid, folks, you're starting to see a lot of talk and writing about Marxism in America now. A year ago, two years ago, you did not. And so we're, we are already making progress even before this book is, is available, American Marxism. And that's actually one of the points I make in the book. Be bold. Say what the truth is. Take the language back. And I want to lead by example here. So uh, we're going to continue to use the phrases that I believe are accurate. And uh, just a matter till we come under assault. They know who's behind this. I am and you are. And we're going to keep it up. And I want to thank those of you who have pre-ordered your copies of American Marxism on Amazon and other sites. And I'm, I'm hoping those of you who have not will jump in with the rest of us. Because we have a movement to lead here. You and me. Destiny, as Ronald Reagan called it. We have an appointment with destiny. And I hope these little things I'm picking out, which aren't so little, but... Just little tastes of what's in the book. I hope I hope that helps give you a feel for what I'm talking about and where I am uh, coming from and where I think we need to go. Fauci. Of course, he's doing this uh, through Zoom. I mean, what a jerk. He can't go to Emory to give the speech. I mean, what is that all about? Fauci at Emory University graduation ceremony yesterday. Cut 15, go. COVID-19 has shown a bright light on our own society's failings. Our country's experience with COVID-19 is not only... Let me, let, let me say this. COVID-19 has shown a bright light on our own society's magnificence. Not the Democrat governors. Not the infectious disease organization. Not the government. But on you. How fabulous America is. How you fought through this virus. How you had to fight through the static from the phony experts. How you had to suffer through the economic consequences and what the teachers union were doing to your kids. This virus shone a bright light on our own society's magnificence and the magnificence of the American people. I am sick and tired of you being put down by these frauds and phonies. These overpaid bureaucrats and slick politicians. Go ahead. 
but it has uncovered a stark reality and failing of our own society. The unacceptable disparities in health experienced by minority groups, especially African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans. And what's the cause of that? Exactly. One of the finest hospitals in the world is Johns Hopkins. It's in one of the the most impoverished areas of Baltimore. One of the finest hospitals in the world is the Cleveland Clinic. It's in one of the most impoverished areas of Cleveland. One of the most finest hospitals in America, University of Pennsylvania, is in one of the most impoverished areas of Philadelphia. And I can go down the list. Our greatest hospitals are not in well-to-do suburbs. They're in some of the most crime-ridden, poor areas of our cities. So why is it that there are disparities in health care? We have Medicaid, not exclusively, but mostly aimed at people who can't afford health care. We have emergency rooms that are open to anybody who walks in, even illegal aliens. Doctors can't turn people away if they can't pay. So what exactly is the cause of this disparity? The system, of course, is racist, you see. Haven't you been to a hospital recently, an emergency room that says minorities may not attend, minority patients may not come in? Haven't you read that? Oh, you haven't. That was done away with half a century ago. More, actually. So what are they talking about? Well, I will tell you this. It's not an issue of access. It's not an issue of affordability. Nobody can afford medical expenses today. If, unless you have insurance, and we have government insurance. And if you hit 65, I don't care what your background is, you're on Medicare. This is, you know, it's the most giving beneficent society mankind has ever imagined. And here we have this jerk who's paid 417000 a year. God knows what his bonuses are. God knows what else he gets. Here he is, trashing you, trashing America, rather than celebrating it. And you're talking to a bunch of young people who are graduating from Emory University. This is what they hear. Go ahead. Many members of minority groups have a much greater risk of COVID-19, often because of the nature of the jobs that many of them have as essential workers. Well, in we society. can't fix that. First of all, I have no idea if that's true. None. My understanding was early on police officers. And emergency personnel were the ones hit the hardest with the COVID-19, the coronavirus. But, of course, he can't say that. They'll burn the stage down in the audience there, the uh, young people. But what is he talking about? And if he's right, whose fault is that? Where the hell are the teachers? Where are they? Go ahead. Now, you know what? Shut up, you idiot. I've had enough of you. I've had enough of you trying to be down with the revolution. This is a joke. 
Now we have Yamichi Alcinder. Yamichi Alcinder. She is a disaster. I don't get it. I think she's a, a second-generation immigrant to this country. Her parents immigrated, immigrated here. I look at Omar. I listen to Talib. I don't understand why people or their parents come to this country and they have such a hate for it. It's really quite shocking. But here she is, and, she, and she's now... Washington Week, I think the name of the show is. I don't remember. I used to watch it, but not anymore, of course. Where they do the weekly roundup of politics. They have her in charge of it? The public broadcasting system, or as I affectionately call them, the pubic broadcasting system? This is, this is who they put in this position? A fraud, a phony, a fake? So she's asking a question today of Pasaki. Cut 17, go. Also, in the switch to COVID, um, the largest national nurses union is saying that the CDC guidelines on masks is putting frontline workers and especially people of color at risk, and that they're they're calling. Hey, hold on, hold on, the 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 biggest nurses union says this. Do you notice how they do this? It's like this John Dickerson I played in the first hour. You know, Bernie Sanders says, and so who cares what they say? What's the science say? What's the science say? No, no, she doesn't say the science says. She says the biggest union for nurses says. Well, why do I give a crap what the biggest union for nurses has to say? What does the science say? Go ahead. That. What's the White House's stance on that union in particular saying that their, their members and people of color are at risk? And why are people of color more at risk? I, I don't understand. Does the coronavirus say, oh, there's a person of color? Why are people of color more at risk? First of all, it makes no sense, Mr. Producer. We just heard, in America, we just heard Fauci say that people of color don't have access to health care, right? Now we have the biggest... Nurses Union and what's your name? Okay. Alcinder saying, look, they're it's more dangerous, you know, when the when the people of color go into these hospitals and emergency rooms and meet the nurses who are part of this union. It's not good for the nurses, it's not good for the people of color. Well, first of all, I thought they didn't have access to health care. Folks, we have a success. It's so successful that Joe Biden keeps stealing it, which is what he's done throughout his life. It's called herd immunity. That's called nature. And vaccinations. That's called capitalism. And here we have nature and capitalism coming together, a fusion that we should be celebrating. Not because of Dunderhead in the Oval Office, but the virus has been mostly defeated Because of herd immunity and vaccinations. Vaccinations coming from capitalism. And herd immunity coming from nature. Just as the real experts said, not Fauci. Yeah, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear two masks. Wear a condom, wear a condom, wear wear a condom, two masks, wear boots. While you're at it, wear goggles. Remember he even brought up goggles once? He brought up goggles! It's ahead of the infectious disease, whatever the hell they call it. 
And then we have the PBS expert over here saying, uh, wearing masks, if you're encouraging people not to wear masks, doesn't that harm people of color more than anybody else? Where do you come up with this crap? Go ahead. I don't have any particular response directly to the union. I will say that, again, uh, the objective of the CDC and of Dr. Walensky was to to deliver on that. All right. Thank you for nothing. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Uh, Brian, Boynton Beach, Florida, the great WJNO. Brian, how are you, sir? I am well. Thank you so much. It's an honor. And Thank I you. wanted to call and tell you a story I love telling folks. And I finally get to tell it to you. I'm at a restaurant down here in South Florida one day. I'm with my kids, and this older gentleman has his radio blaring. And I thought maybe it was a transistor radio so loud. Mm-hmm. And, um, I keep listening a little bit out of the corner of my ear, and I hear it's your show. So when there comes an opportunity to, you know, say hi to the gentleman, I told him, I said, you have great taste in uh, uh, talk radio. And he, and he said, well, thank you. And uh, a woman who introduced herself said, well, he better. That's his son. And I got to tell you, I, so I met your father, and The way he was, he was absolutely beaming with pride, and Mm. I could tell he didn't care if anybody (laughs) told him to turn it down or any any of that thing. It was like he was watching you play in the World Series or something, and I imagine it was probably like that every day because it was just an ordinary day. And your dad and your wife took the time to talk to my children and get to know them, and it was such an unbelievable blessing to meet your father and to see how he felt about his son. And it was an example for me with my own kids that, Hey, you can be a tough guy and still beam with pride Mm -hmm. and still love your kids with abandon. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've witnessed, Mark. And I just, I'm a huge fan of yours. And it was a real treat to meet, um, to meet your dad, however brief it was. So, You're very, very kind, and I'm guessing it was on Atlantic Avenue, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, not too far from there, no. but the auxiliary bunker coordinates I don't think i better give out. So, Well, you know, my uh, wonderful wife, Julie, now and then when I would have to work and so forth, she would take my dad 
you know, on a date, like to lunch or to dinner, because my mother was uh, bedbound with uh, liver cancer. So uh, he so looked forward to that, and that is very, very kind of you, Brian. I really want to thank you for that. And thank let's get Brian's address. When we get one of these books, I want to get one to Brian. All right, Mr. Producer? What were you saying, one minute? Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Brian, and God bless you. That was a beautiful story. David Harrington in Delaware, the great WGMD. How are you? Uh, good evening, Mark. God bless you. You too. Hey, I just wanted to call and let you know I went online the other day at Amazon, pre-ordered three of your American wow. Marxism books. Aren't you nice? One for myself and one for myself and my wife, and two for my coworkers. What do you do? You don't have to tell me where. What do you do? I work for the state of Delaware. Wow, aren't you nice? I don't want you to get fired now. No, no. All right. I even well. Don't don't I, expose yourself. I don't want you to get in trouble. Okay. All right. Thank That's you, fine. David. That's very very kind of you and sweet of you. I appreciate it. And this is what I'm talking about. This is what a movement's built with. Ideas have consequences, as Professor Weaver said. But we we knew that anyway. We're fighting our ideas against theirs, but we're going to do more than that. We're going to talk about how exactly we do that. We have some wonderful callers here. Um, let's go to Desiree, El Paso, Texas. We only have a few seconds on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Hi, good, Mark. I'm a huge fan. My new favorite word is reprobate. I've been calling everyone reprobate lately. <laughs> um, but... Both my grand, three of my four grandparents are Mexican legal citizens yeah. until they pass. But you know the sacrifices that they made to be legal citizens. They're very proud of them. So you're right on when you say that we don't like to be called Latinx or any of that stuff. And uh, it, it's it's just so sad what's going on, and, and no one wants to. Call I, it. I've got to go. I wish we had more time. I want to thank you. It sounds like you have a wonderful family. We want to salute all you heroes out there. I want to thank you too. And I'll see you tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you.